Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Rick Benjamin. The message begins in 1 Corinthians 2, a verse we heard last week. I'm going to read a lot of them off the screen, and I'll quote some that you can write down if you take notes today. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The man that wrote those words, the Apostle Paul, he went to that place in Greece called the city of Corinth. When he came, he didn't come with wisdom and eloquence. He said, although he was a very intelligent, educated man, he said, I stayed on the message. I was very simple about it. The Bible says he was there the first time for a year and a half. Is it possible for a year and a half? He did one big, long series all about just Jesus and him crucified. Sure, you could talk about that for a year and a half and forever. Reminds me of Billy Graham, passed away last month. A great treasure was lost. And Billy Graham, one of the things they said about him, he always stayed on that simple message, kept it simple, just about Jesus and the cross and knowing Jesus. That's our series. That's what we're doing now. Pastor Josh started this series last Sunday. He shared how he got the idea from talking to my father. Now, to explain, my father, his name is Dick Benjamin. Uh, he founded this church in 1959. I was there, I remember. A little handful of people out here in the woods. He was our senior pastor for this local church altogether about 25 years. And then for another 25 years, him and my mom traveled around Alaska and the USA helping churches and pastors. That was a great thing they did. He fully retired in 1999, and my mom... She passed away two and a half years ago. We miss her. She was a great person. But my dad's still with us. He was in the first service this morning. On May 4th, he'll turn 93 years old. How about that? Pretty awesome. He lives in a house on this property. If you ever want to go drop in and see him, he'd love that. And he was talking to Josh. They get together in a regular way. And Josh uh, heard my dad say something like this. We need to preach more messages around this church about the cross. Something like that. And Josh said when Dad spoke to him, it was like God was speaking to us and saying, this is something we need to do. And last week, Josh began this message with explaining this and saying that he wants to redig the well. It's a picture of a way to say, let's go back to some of our roots and some of our heritage. And also, he wants to do it to honor my dad himself, which I appreciate a lot. In fact, my dad, then he gave us a whole bunch of his notes. I've got some of them right here. So this is my father preaching, I don't know, 30 years ago. Uh, five views of the cross. And Josh even quoted this one. I will too. His conclusion, it's my desire to get God's view of the cross. It's my desire to get the Bible's view of the cross. I want to not only view the cross properly, but to live my whole life accordingly. And my father's done that. That's a good quote from him. So Josh last week talked about walking around the cross. So we have some crosses here. And the middle one, that's Jesus' cross. You know the story they crucified two others with him on that day, and he was the one in the middle. So the crosses make us think about Jesus. There are some graphics about the cross and the series. I'm even wearing my cross today. I don't usually wear jewelry, but for today I wore my cross. Anybody else wearing a cross today? A lot of us are. It's not just a decoration in a church building or on a church building. It's not just a piece of jewelry some of us wear. It means so much more than that. So we're going to walk around the cross, he said, and get different points of view different perspectives on the cross. And last week he taught the Father's perspective, how the Father God 
sees the cross. And he said the cross was motivated by the Father's love and the Father's justice. His love and justice are reconciled on the cross. God always loved us, always wanted to save us, but he couldn't just do it. There had to be a way to deal with the issue of sin. And that all came together on the cross. And Josh said the cross was not a recovery plan. He said it wasn't plan B. There is no plan B. There was only one plan, plan A, I guess. And that was Jesus on the cross. And he quoted a Bible verse that says that, Acts 2.23, called it the Father's prearranged plan. Now the message today is from a different perspective. The perspective, very unique point of view, of the one who died on that cross. Jesus, the Son of God himself. This one's called the cross, the Son's perspective. So we'll start in Philippians chapter 2 with a very famous and beautiful passage about Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem at Christmas, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. That was the beginning of his human life on earth. But the Bible teaches, like we just saw, Jesus has always existed, going back to eternity past, as the eternal word of God with the Father. And he was equal with God, like we read. And being equal with God included having all the divine qualities, all the God stuff that only God can do, being everywhere throughout the universe, knowing everything all the time. He laid all that aside. We read about it. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, the Bible says. He set aside those divine prerogatives. And in his human life, once in a while, God would let him do the God stuff. The Father would speak to him. See that woman? I'm healing her. Go. And the Son would heal her, and she would be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything he did and said and taught was in submission to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as a servant. So once in a while, those divine prerogatives would kind of peek out. But he was always the mysterious God-man, Jesus, the Son of God. Wow. What that means is when he was a little baby, he didn't know how to talk. He didn't know how to walk. He had to learn from his parents like any other human person. He went to synagogue. He learned his language and culture. He learned about the Bible. And someday, we don't know when, somewhere along that life's journey as he grew in wisdom and stature, the Bible says, he realized something about himself. He realized his purpose. He realized why he was here. He realized one day those prophecies about someone that's coming to suffer for others, that was me. And he began to realize all those sacrifices that we do, all those lambs and animals, they're all about me. And he realized that Lamb of God thing, that's me. That's who I am. Wow. Somewhere along the way, Jesus realized I have a destiny. And that's the first way he looked at the cross. He looked ahead to the cross knowing the cross was his destiny. We don't have to think about it. He told us many times, many ways. This is how he saw the cross. Like in this verse, Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the way he speaks about himself, I came. None of us talks about ourselves that way. Rick Benjamin, I came for a purpose. No, but Jesus knew I came, and I came for this reason. It was not to be served, but to serve others 
and to give my life. Frankly, he knew he was born to die, and that was his destiny. He prophesied and predicted his death on the cross many times. They count like 15, 16 different times. Jesus told them, this is going to happen to me. Here's a couple examples. Matthew 20, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Just like that, in detail, months, years maybe, before it actually happens. Another example is in Matthew 26. As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. His destiny was the cross, and he knew it, and he said it many times. He talked about his destiny with some other words. He used like word pictures to describe it, to tell us his perspective, how he saw the cross. Here's one of them, also in Mark chapter 10, verse 38. They were asking for some privileges. They wanted to sit on his side in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? A cup, a baptism. What's he talking about? These are pictures of his destiny. They're pictures of the cross. And by the way, what he was really saying is, I'm going to die. Can you die for me? And you know what they said when he asked that question? They said, yeah, we can. We can drink your cup thing. We can do your baptism thing. Those poor guys, they were so naive. They had no idea. And then Jesus said, you will. And guess what they did? Most of those guys gave their lives for Jesus as martyrs, many of them dying on crosses of their own, as a matter of fact. A baptism. He knew the cross would be like a baptism. He was already baptized in water when he said those words. Not water. We're talking about a baptism in suffering. A cup. He wasn't talking about a cup you drink in a meal. He was talking about a bitter cup of suffering. Write this one down, Luke 12, verse 50, in the New Living Translation. The word baptism again. Jesus said, I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden until it's accomplished. Can you feel those words? It's coming. It's terrible. It's heavy. I feel it. At one time in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, he said, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. This hour, this baptism, this cup, this is why I'm here. He knew that. And it all came together, that word cup maybe made you think of this. I thought of this. It came together that one horrible night, the night before he died on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here it is, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Beautiful words. Daddy, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. No place do we see the struggle anymore than that night in that garden. I've been there, the Garden of Gethsemane, many times. Anybody else been there in Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane? 
the word Gethsemane means a wine press or a press. It wasn't wine because that was an olive garden. They actually grew olives and olive trees in that place, and they would press the olives and crush them and make olive oil. By the way, those olive trees lived for centuries, and they're still there. And they say that some of those same trees were there that night, 2,000 years ago. And they built this big, beautiful church next to it. But the garden is still there. And I've been there, and I've prayed there. And I thought about what he did that night and how he prayed. Some artist did that painting of Jesus in the garden, and he's serenely kneeling beside a rock, just the right shape. And he has his hands folded and looking up to God, and he has this light shining. It wasn't like that. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't beautiful. We read it. He fell in his face on the ground. He wanted company. He wanted those guys just to stay with them. They couldn't do a thing to change anything. He just needed human company. And that even let him down. They fell asleep, the Bible says. They didn't know. Do you know the Bible says that on the ground, the word that the Greek language uses is the word agon, agony. He was in agony, wrestling with his destiny. And the Gospel of Luke says he actually sweat drops of blood, which can happen under amazing stress and pressure. That was happening to him. That night, the divine agony was so great. Jesus was both divine and human. He was the God-man. In the Gethsemane, we see his humanity. And I'm going to say it this way. In the garden that night, he was afraid. He knew what was coming, and he didn't want to do it. He had a will. He said, not my will. That's right. He was afraid that night. What was he afraid of? What was Jesus afraid of that night in the garden? Well, he was afraid of crucifixion and the physical suffering and torture and pain. They all knew what it was. It was commonplace in that generation. They knew how awful that was. We don't, but we can learn. Back in 1986, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, they published a nine-page research article called On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. This article was controversial. The journal got really criticized for even doing it. But here's another perspective, the medical perspective on the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. It had some diagrams I'll show you like that. Medically diagramming and showing scourging, which Jesus endured that next morning when they beat him. And what happened there? And the article goes on to say that this scourging was so terrible, sometimes this killed people. They never even got to the cross. And what they said was a severe scourging with its intense pain and appreciable blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock state. He was half dead already. And the article goes on to show the nails and how they used them and how they drove them really in this part of the hand. And the nails really were just for torture. They were just a way to attach a person to the cross. They were terribly painful. Not much blood was lost. They made it just painful to even hang there and even try to breathe. You can get the article yourself if you want. I'm not going to go much farther with this. It's just awful. And Jesus knew it was awful. It was going to be terrible. It was designed to be terrible. This was not a humane form of capital punishment like a lethal injection. It was designed to humiliate and strip away every layer of your person. Many times it took days to die on crosses. He hung there for six hours. Wow. He was afraid of all that suffering. He was a man. He was a human being. Who wouldn't have been? But it was more than that. He wasn't just going to die on the cross like the other two thieves that died that day. He was afraid of something else that was unique to him. 
He was afraid of that awful burden that was coming of taking on himself the sins of the world. Jesus was the only perfect sinless person that ever walked this world. Someone said there was only one real Christian and they killed him. That was Jesus, the sinless, holy, spotless Lamb of God. And he was dreading what was going to happen to him. It's a mystery. It's overwhelming. But he took on all the sins of all the people who would ever live in this world. The Bible even says not just taking on sin, but he became sin for us, the one who knew no sin. And he was afraid of that. Unimaginable. And one more thing we believe he feared. He was afraid of being separated for the first time in all eternity from his father, Abba Father. That relationship is going to be broken because of that sin. How awful. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. That's what we're saying. The Bible is showing us that. And we ask that question, could he have said no? Could he have stopped in that moment and said, I can't do it. I won't do it. We'll never know. Thank God. <laughs> because in that moment, he said those awesome words, not my will, but thy will be done. He surrendered in obedience to the Father and his destiny for him. And right then and there, in that garden, with those words, that night, the victory was won. Jesus won. <laughs> he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to go to the cross. Even the Father didn't make him do it. He chose to do it. Do you know that Jesus Christ was not a victim? From that moment, all the way through, he was leading the way. He had said this before. Write this one down, John 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So when he got done praying, he woke him up and said, it's time to go. They're coming. And those soldiers came to arrest him, and they asked him, uh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. The power words, those I am words, that's right, that I am word. And when he said I am, they all fell on the ground because he is I am. Then they got up and he said, who do you seek? And they said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and he led them out. Now his disciples got excited. Peter took out a sword and started swinging. He actually injured a man. He ripped off a guy's ear, which Jesus healed. His last act of healing was to heal that ear that night. And then he said these awesome words in Matthew 26. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, which is thousands of angels, an angel SWAT team to take off the top of this hill and get me out of here. Yeah, and some of us kind of would like to see what that would look like. He did have that power, and he knew it. He told that nine pilot, you would have no power except it's given to you from my father. And thank God he didn't exercise that power. He didn't do that. He set it all aside. He made himself nothing. He became a servant. They went to the trials, and the trials were a mess. A kangaroo court. Their witnesses disagreed with one another. They couldn't convict him. So finally, in the trial, read it, he convicted himself. They were bungling it so badly, he had to say, I am. And you will see me, the Son of Man, come again on the clouds of heaven. And they said, there, he, he blasphemed. He did it. And then the moment came. They took him to his cross. 
all of his lifetime, 33 years and more, leading to that moment, there it was, and he picked up his cross, and then he carried his cross, and then he laid down on his cross, and he let them kill him on that cross. Even on the cross, you know, he spoke seven times. The first thing he spoke was this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's our Jesus. And the last thing he spoke on the cross, the seventh word, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the Bible says something very amazing. He gave up his spirit. They didn't kill him. He gave up his life. They came to his cross and they said, he's already dead. They ran that spear into his heart. Out came blood and water. He was already gone. He wasn't a victim. We sang it today. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it, but you gave yourself away. That's what he did. He wasn't a victim. He gave himself up on the cross. Why? Why did he do that? How could he do that? Obedience to God the Father? Sure, love for his Father. Sure, submission to his will. But there's one more thing I want you to see about his perspective on the cross. He looked through the cross. He looked beyond the cross. He saw something. And it's in the Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read that now. We should be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What? In all of this horror, there was something called joy? There was a joy set before him? Yes, there was. There was something he saw beyond the cross, and that motivated him to go through it. What joy was that? Well, he saw the joy of three days and three nights later, Resurrection Sunday, when, praise God, he came out of that tomb forever. He saw that great joy of his resurrection. He saw another joy. He saw that he was going back. He was going to go home. He was going to go back to the Father. Like 40 days later, he ascended. Can you imagine that? Think about that. Jesus gets back to heaven. Mission accomplished. There's some of it in Hebrews chapter 1, where it says, when the Son returned, the Father said, all the angels worship him. All stand. All rise. My Son did it. He's back. And it even says that God the Father looks at him and says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father, calling Jesus in your Bible, God the Son, forever. Do you know we're here because Jesus won? Come on. <laughs> he won. The joy of his resurrection, the joy of his reunion in heaven, he even said it when he prayed one time, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Wow. How awesome is that? But there was more joy that he saw through the cross, beyond the cross. He saw the joy of literally billions of people like you and me, saved from their sins, living with him forever, reconciled to the Father in heaven because he was going to do on that cross. That was the joy. The prophet said this in Isaiah 53. He will see his offspring, it says. Offspring? Jesus was a single man. He didn't have any children. He never got married. But Jesus saw children, millions of children, sons and daughters on the other side of the cross. That's right. And the message, paraphrase, does it like this. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life. Life and more life. 
I'm going to say it this way. The joy Jesus saw was the joy of you. He saw you. One gospel song says, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. I like that. How can that be? I'm just one little person. You're talking about billions. Do you know this is in the Bible too? Watch this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that Christ died to save sinners. But this man is saying, he loved me. Paul, he gave himself for me. Paul, you can say that. You can put your name there. You can know this. You are the joy. The joy of you. Saved, forgiven, reconciled, eternal life. You were that joy. Sorry about the volume. <laughs> I get passionate and I get loud. I'm going to tell you a story about myself. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. But here's the story. I told you, lifelong Christian, always loved Jesus, always believed everything about him, still do. Never ashamed of Jesus. Are you kidding? I'm proud of Jesus. He's awesome. He shines. He's the perfect one. He's my hero, my ideal, everything. But this happened to me when I was very young, nine years old, like one of these boys today. I went to a movie. I have a picture of it. The greatest story ever told. It's one of those Bible epic movies. Who's ever seen The Greatest Story Ever Told? Max von Sydow played Jesus. A very white and Caucasian guy played Jesus. Just want to say that. 1965. I was nine years old. By the way, this was back when these epics were so long. This movie was more than four hours long. In fact, this is back in the day, remember this, when they had intermissions in the middle of a movie, right? They'd have a break, because you needed that. And it was like a double feature. <laughs> it was two parts. Okay, so I went to this movie at the Fireway Theater here in Anchorage. Remember that big theater down there? It's gone now. And I'm sure my parents took me, and like you can probably guess, it's a long film. I'm nine years old. It's nighttime. I fell asleep in the movie during the second half. So I woke up for this scene right here. And he was carrying the cross on that road out to Calvary where he died. And he fell. The Bible says this. He was weak. He was half dead already. And they grabbed this random guy from the crowd. His name was Simon. He's in the Bible. He was from northern Africa. He probably was a black man. So in the movie, they had the famous actor, Sidney Poitier, play this man. What an honor. And they grabbed him. And I woke up, and I saw Jesus stumble and fall. I think I said it out loud. I think I said, he's doing that for me. I remember that. Like, it really came home for me. And I watched the rest of the movie, and he went on to the cross, and, and even the resurrection and all that. But who knows? That might have been the moment for me. I don't know. One of those times, one of those moments, one of those prayers, one of those realizations, I realized Jesus loved me, and he saw me, and he did that for me, and he gave himself for me. Jesus loved me and you and all of us so much that he said yes. Aren't you glad? He said yes to the Father and his destiny on the cross. That's the cross, the Son's perspective. 
How does this relate to all of us today? So many ways. You see them as well as me. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this, the greatest story ever told. Maybe it is for you. Yes, it's possible in this country. Maybe you never heard about Jesus and how much he loves you and what he did for you on the cross. Maybe you never received Jesus. The lady said, receive the gift. He's the gift. He's the greatest gift. Today, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to receive that gift, maybe for the first time in your eternal life. Most of us have received that gift. For the rest of us, how, what does all this mean to us? Well, it's an example for how to live our lives. My father said it. I want not only to view the cross properly, but live my whole life accordingly. And so Jesus' perspective of the cross becomes the disciples' perspective. That's another message yet to come. And the Christian's perspective. We read some of it already today. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, right? He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He became a servant. Let that mind be in you, brother and sister. Humble yourself. Empty yourself. Become a servant to God and to God's people. Hebrews 12, we read it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The verse says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you will not grow weary and lose heart. It wasn't only Jesus, you know. Not just him that had a destiny. Now he had the unique destiny. It was the cross. But you and I have a destiny too. I hope you know that. I hope you found that. I hope you're heading for it. And God's destiny for you will never be as bad as what Jesus had. That's part of that encouragement. Think about him. On your worst day, I'm not going to the cross. Hallelujah. But God's destiny for you will challenge you. It'll be hard for you. It'll stretch you. It'll make you dependent on him. You can't do God's destiny on your own. It may even include suffering. Sure it does. It has for me. I'm sure it has for everyone here. So think about Jesus on the cross and his perspective. And say those words like he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And walk in love. We have that one too, don't we? Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He showed his love for us ultimately when he died, and now he's calling us to follow his example. Not to die so much, maybe, but for most of us to live and walk the way of love for him and for each other. And finally, I hope this all just makes us want to worship Jesus. When I read this, when I think about all this, I just love him more. I want to get saved all over again. I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for me. We're going to worship him in a few moments now and respond to him for what he has done. Next week, come back. Interesting message. The perspective of Satan on the cross. Our enemy, his view of the cross. Wow, that'll be awesome. But for now, I'd like you all please to join me and just... Close your eyes and bow your heads. We're going to pray. If you haven't heard, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't really received him and what he did for you, when he died for you, on the cross for you, if you want to receive that gift this morning, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Very simple. You want to receive Jesus. You want to receive that gift. You want to know what he did for you on the cross personally. 
you want to make it personal. Just raise your hand so we can see it. We're going to pray a prayer. Thank you for raising your hand. Thank you very much. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. This might be the first time if you just raise your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand. And for many of us, it'll be the 10,000th time we prayed this prayer in words like this with all of our hearts. Follow me along now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for saying yes to the Father. Thank you for loving me so much that you died on the cross for me. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I receive who you are and what you did today. Help me to follow your example every day. And I'll worship you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.